All right, all right, all right, right on, right on, right on. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Right On Radio. Yes, this is the military analyst show that we're going to be doing for you today. And it is a good one, ladies and gentlemen. So glad to have you here uh, live with us. Chris should be joining any minute. He was frantically putting together uh, a new Intel brief to put in today. Uh, just a couple quick announcements before we get going and before uh, he's just coming in now, but I'll just do the announcements anyways. Uh, the first one is we apologize, but we, uh, you know, Chris and I were having some real technical difficulties and I was not able to get that uh, Intel brief from last week put up uh, last week on time, but it is there now, the uh, KGB uh, files uh, that were there. Uh, so that is up. I've also added a new section, and of course, I'm speaking of Right On You. Uh, that's where we have all of these Intel briefs posted. It's Right On, R-I-G-H-T-O-N, the letter U, dot com, and you can subscribe to the Military Analyst, and all the briefs are there. I've added a new section today, uh, The Real Elysium. And there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff that comes with that. So I've put that up as well as today's brief. And the pictures are shocking. I encourage you to go to uh, the military analyst on Right On You and subscribe. Listen, he goes under the name of Chris Wilson. That is not his real name. Nobody knows his real name. He is flying under the cover because he is literally risking his life to do this for you. He was very high-ranking in the military. He understands this, and he has been an analyst for, well, doing this stuff for, well, decades and decades. So, uh, and some of this stuff, they don't want out there, folks, and uh, I think this is going to be one of them. So, uh, without further ado, please welcome the military analyst to Right On Radio. Chris, good to have you, sir. Hi, Jeff. Uh, great to be back, and... Uh... I always want to give uh, uh, interesting information and knowledge to our audience so they can learn the truths of life. And we're going to do some work on Zakaria Sitchin, who was uh, one of the most brilliant uh, crypto linguists and uh, archaeologists. Um, he specialized in the, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still recovering from the flu, specialized within the, uh, the Middle East, uh, specifically, uh, uh, the Mesopotamia area, which is between the Tigris and the Euphrates River in what is today Iraq. And he has incredible knowledge. He has written and co-authored uh, 12 to 14 books. We're going to go over what is known as uh, the case of the evil wind. This is where the Anunnaki, which I have mentioned in the past, that they came into uh, our, on our planet from planet Nibiru, uh, they are reptilian, and they came to uh, mine gold, and which they did in all of Southern Africa, as I mentioned on um, uh, Michael Tellinger's uh, briefing. And what happened was, in there, with every type of civilization audience, there is, regardless whether we are third-dimensional um, in the physical plane, uh, they are fourth dimensional and they have IQs of the equivalent of 500 times ours. But, and they, um, with every civilization and every society, there's always conflict. It's inevitable uh, between uh, power hierarchy as well as uh, 
um, delegation of duties and responsibilities, and this is what happened. Um, we'll go into the actual uh, uh, names of the key figures, but this has all been decoded by Zacharias Sitchin. He passed away in, I believe it was 2010. His son maintains a site, so you can um, see his at uh, Z Sitchin, and that's Z S I T C H I N index.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also read it off the site when Jeff, uh, he's posting these essays. Anyway, that um, there was a conflict between the two brothers, uh, Enlil and Enki, and uh, their father was Anu, and he was in a base ship above South Africa. And this is where they teleported the gold. And we're talking incredible amounts. It, it goes into the, the millions of tonnage over um, from 450,000 years ago all the way until uh, when they departed, which was about 2350 BC. But before they departed, um, the evil one was uh, where you had the two brothers and, and Lil and Enki and basically the evil one detonated a nuclear explosion on the Sinai Peninsula. And this is what uh, Zacharias Sitchin traced back, and his work is absolutely impeccable. It's too bad that he's not around today, but his work still is, and it's uh, available for reading. Some of it is online, but the majority you can just buy in paperback. So I'll go forward. Um, I've shown some pictures of the area and also uh, his analysis and how he uh, actually matched the, the year to the, literally, to the month. Okay. Climate studies uh, corroborate um, Sumer's nuclear fate. At the end of the third millennium BC, okay, we're talking 3000 BC, the great Sumerian civilization came to an abrupt end. Its sudden demise was bewailed in numerous lamentation texts that had been discovered by archaeologists. Now understand that the audience is that the Sumerians were literally genetically engineered by the Anunnaki. And it's even references and fractions in the Bible where it said, uh, Jeff would know it better than me, um, where it's referenced that uh, they created women so beautiful and that they, um, they, they mated. Uh, and He'll get you the reference. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. The Bible is very positive, but there's uh, the Romans manipulated the Bible and used it as a leverage tool for controlling society. Not going to get into that now, but I just wanted to reference that uh, it does go back to uh, into the Bible about the Anunnaki, but it doesn't state their name. Anyway, onward. So. The text ascribed the calamity to an evil wind that came blowing from the west from the direction of the Mediterranean Sea, a deadly cloud that caused excruciating death to all living beings, people and animals alike, that withered uh, plants and poisoned the waters. In the War of the Gods and Men, the third book of the Earth Chronicle series, Zacharias Sitchin saw an explanation of the sudden death in a long text known to scholars 
as the era, and that's E-R-R-A, epoch, E-P-O-S. That described a chain of events that ultimately led to the um, use of, quote, weapons of war, weapons of terror, quote, in a conflict between opposing clans of the Anunnaki, those who from heaven came to earth. And that is what uh, Anunnaki means. So, based on the descriptions of the weapons in the era EPA, okay, and that's E-R-R-A-E-P-O-S, and the, in the Lamentation text, Zakaria Sitchin concluded that the weapons of terror were nuclear weapons used to obliterate the spaceport that existed in the Sinai Peninsula and some sinning cities, which you're familiar with as Sodom and Gomorrah, in the nuclear cloud that was carried by prevailing winds eastward, causing death and desolation in the lands between the rivers of Mesopotamia, the empire of Sumer and the Akkad, which is AKKAD, which is what you would think of Akkadia. Besides claiming that nuclear weapons were first used on Earth, not in the 1940s in the Hiroshima, but thousands of years earlier in the Near East, Zakaria also pinpointed the date to 2024 BC. Now, I wanted to mention, audience, that I also have proof that uh, there was nuclear explosions even eons before this. I have proof from ones in China, India, even the Americas. The point is, nuclear technology is not new. It's very, very ancient, but it is very lethal, as you're all aware. However, it has been used multiple times over the many different civilizations throughout uh, from the uh, uh, essentially the third, uh, fourth, and fifth root race of mankind. We are the fifth root race, known as the Aryan. So scientific corroboration now comes along. That the civilization that sprang out in Sumer, Sirrah, 3800 BC, well, that's an underestimate, reaching unparalleled heights under the last dynasty, the third dynasty of Ur, which is U-R, and that is also referred to as Abraham's city, had come to an abrupt end and near the end of the third millennium BC has been accepted and well-documented fact. That was the end. Uh, Why the end was abrupt was also certain. What scholars deemed as lacking was was an explanation to this. How and what caused it? Beginning in 1999, archaeologists and scholars specializing in the Near East studies saw mounting evidence that the demise of Sumer and Akkad, Sumer's northern extension, coincided with an abrupt climate change. An initial study by Harvey Weiss, W-E-I-S-S, and Timothy C. Wiskiley, which is W-I-E-S-K-I-E-I, of Harvard University was reinforced by a subsequent study in the Geology um, Magazine of uh, April 2000 by H.M. Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N, from the Lamont Doherty, and that's L-A-M-O-N-T hyphen D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, Earth Observatory of Columbia University, as well as the University of Utah, the University, the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory out of California and the Institute uh, in Germany for a Geophyschaften, which is uh, in uh, central Germany, based on studies of explained aridity and wind-blown dust storms and radiocarbon dating, 
They reported their readings indicated that a date of 4,025 years ago, plus or minus a margin of 125 years, a precise date corroborated. Those and similar climate change studies related the climate change conditions to the rise and fall of the civilizations in the old as well as the new worlds were summed up in a major study published in the prestigious journal Science in uh, 27 April 2001 issue. Although Peter um, Dumonaki, which is D-E-M-E-N-O-C-A-I, of the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory of Columbia University, which is New York, uh, the study paid particular attention to sedimentary remains of tepra, and I'll explain what that is. The telltale white fragments, oh, telltale rock fragments, confirmed the date of 4025 years before present. And 4025 years before the present year of AD 2001 is exactly 2024 BC, as Zacharias Sitchin had determined in his 1985 book. So now we'll go on to the, the Tefra mystery. The reliance of his latest study on the Tefra evidence is doubtfully significant. While the previous studies spoke of wind-blown dust, this latest study focused on a material called Tefra, and that's T-E-P-H-R-A. And what is Tefra? It is defined in geology textbooks as when a volcano erupts, it will sometimes eject material such as rock fragments into the atmosphere. This material is known as tephra. These burnt through pieces of blackened gravel-like rock mostly fall near their volcanic source, but ash-like particles can be carried by prevailing winds over many miles and can stay aloft for more than a year. The area in the Sinai Peninsula where the destroyed spaceport had uh, been is indeed covered to this day with gravel-like burnt through blackened stones. And for evidence, you can see illustrations in The War of the Gods and Men. That's one of the books he wrote. Um, but as Zakaria pointed out in his books, there are no volcanoes on the Sinai Peninsula. So in the Sinai, the source of the carried winds dust had remained a mystery. And the only explanation for these broken and blackened stones in the Sinai and the windblown desolation in, in Mesopotamia can be the, the tale or even telltale of Era Epos. I spelled that E-R-R-A and E-P-O-S. Referenced in the biblical tale of the upheaval of Sodom and Gomorrah not an eruption by a non-existent volcano, but the use of nuclear weapons in 2024 before Christ, B.C. This was uh, done by his, uh, Zacharias Sitchin, and I um, posted it uh, as early, that was uh, November 20, uh, 2001, and I posted this uh, about a year ago. Anyway, that's the first essay. And there are photographs uh, which show the area that was devastated uh, in current day uh, pictures. All right, Jeff, um, that's number one. Okay. And we'll go on to the second one. I'm closing that out. This is part three. I didn't have enough time to grab them all, so I apologize for having them out of order. But this is, uh, I did three essays on Dr. Zakaya Stitchin, and 
Uh, he was, as mentioned, an archaeological uh, archaeologist and a cryptolinguist of ancient Sumerian cuneiform. The language, the true history of planet Earth, known as Gaia, which is G-A-I-A, not what the uh, English language uh, has uh, used today as G-A-E-A, and it's known as the Un- Enuma Elish, which is E-L-I-S, and Enuma is E-N-U-M-A, which is known as the Nibiru Genesis. So, Sakari Sishin was a Russian linguist and historian, an expert of the Sumerian civilization. He was one of the few scholars capable of deciphering the cuneiform characters. Sitchin takes as certain and realistic, although appearing confusing, all that is commonly called, quote, mythology. All that represents the customs and the traditions of people from the ancient lore to the folk tales and from figures painted inside temples or upon tools and objects to the various rituals, ceremonies, dances, chants, and would be nothing but faint memories of real facts. Recently, astronomical data confirmed the discovery of another major planet in our solar system, a planet whose orbit is so wide that its transit between Mars and Jupiter occurs only every 3,600 years. The Sumerians were aware of the existence of a planet, which they called Nibiru, and that's N-I-B-I-R-U, or it's also known as the planet of crossing, in quotes, that came from deep space far beyond our solar system. Its inhabitants, the Anunnaki, began to visit the Earth about 500,000 years ago. And the chronicles of those days can be found, according to Sitchin, in all our ancient texts, such as the Bible or the Book of uh, Gilgamesh. The Enuma Elish, that translates into when above, dates back to more than 4,000 years. It is written in cuneiform characters and is composed of seven tablets describing the formation of our solar system in the form of a narrative. And I have part of it, and it goes, um, Enuma Elish La Nabu Shamamu, which is uh, translates into when the sky above was not named, and then it continues, Shapiltu Amantu Shuma La Zakar, and translated, the and the earth beneath did not bear a name. This is how the Enuma Elish began. Originally, only three gods existed. Their first one was Apsu, A-P-S-U, and that translates into one who exists from the beginning. Their second one was Mumu, which is M-U-M-M-U, and that translates into one who was born of waters. And the third is Tiamat, T-I-A-M-A-T, and that translates into the maiden of life. From the stirring of the primordial waters based upon elements of the universe were created. And so then you had Lamu, which is L-A-H-M-U, which is the deity of war. And then you had uh, Lamu, lady of battles, and then later appeared Anskar, which is A-N-S-H-A-R, which is prince foremost of the heavens, and then Kishar, which is K-I-S-H-A-R, and that is foremost of the firm lands, who generated Anu, and that's A-N-U, he of the heavens, and then Gega, which is another god, and Ea, 
EA is mentioned as the artful creator. The parallel between the gods of Mesopotamian texts and the planets of our solar system led to the identifications of Apsu with, with of, we're talking about association with, Apsu with the sun, Mumu, which is M-U-M-U, double M-U, with Mercury, Lamu, which is L-A-H-A-M-U, with Venus, then you have Lamu with L-A-H-M-U, and that's with Mars, then you have Tiamat, which is T-I-A-M-A-T, with Earth, and Kishar, K-I-S-H-A-R, with Jupiter, Anshar, A-N-S-H-A-R, with Saturn, Gaga, which is G-A-G-A, with Pluto, and Anu, A-N-U, with Uranus, and Ea, E-A slash Enki, E-N-K-I, with Neptune. The tablets confer, continue, excuse me, describing the turbulent and irregular orbits of the planets, a series of chaotic occurrences that finally brought peace, that ended with the arrival of Marduk, a new god, and thus a new planet born elsewhere. Now, the Enuma Elish goes on to say, in the chambers of fates, the houses of destiny, a god was engendered, most able and wisest of gods. In the heart of holy Apsu, A-P-S-U, was Marduk created. That's M-A-R-D-U-K. His figure was well-developed. The glance of his eyes was dazzling. His growth was manly. He was mighty from the beginning. His figure was lofty and superior in comparison with the gods. His limbs were surpassing. His nature was superior. The narration described the entering of Marduk into the solar system. After a series of detours, his trajectory crossed that of Tiamat, hitting her with one of its first satellites. So yes, uh, Tiamat was Earth then, and this is why we have a what you would call a linear hemispherical planet with an etheric dome. Anyway, we'll go into that another day. So it continues. Then you have what is known as uh, BL, which is B-E hyphen L, uh, or it can be spelled uh, uh, B-E-E-L. The Lord spread out his net and enmeshed her, which means as a mesh engulfed her. He let loose the evil wind, the rear guard in her face. Tiamat, and that's hyphenated, T-I-A hyphen M-A-T, opened her mouth to swallow it. She let the evil wind in so that she could not close her lips. The fierce winds weighed down her belly. Her inwards were distincted, um, distended rather, and she openly uh, opened her mouth wide. He let fly an arrow and pierced her belly. He tore open her entrails and slit her inwards. He bound her and extinguished her life. Now, this is from the text, the cuneiform. So the point is, we're taking this from ancient texts of the Anun which uh, the Anunnaki created the Sumerians, and the Sumerians uh, they used three percent of their DNA, the reptilian, and then ninety percent of created human or humanoid DNA. Anyway, in this, is this how the arrival of Nibiru into our solar could be like, in other words, the description I just read. And then it shows the uh, pictures that I've been saving for of uh, in uh, uh, Babylonia and Sumeria of where they showed basically giants that uh, had wings 
and I'll explain that at a later date, but uh, these are just uh, all in concurrent with, with this uh, script from Sumeria. After that, Marduk swoops by Tiamat, okay? So Marduk, basically, as you're seeing, they're referencing as both uh, planets, but also as later cre- uh, treated as gods. And again, crossed here for the second time. Marduk hits Tiamat with its own body, causing her to split into two parts, one of which we come the asteroid belt, which we have today between Mars and Jupiter, which currently orbits between Mars and... Oh, I just read that. Okay. With the other part form, the Earth will be pushed off course by Marduk's satellite, the North Wind, in a third collision and into a new orbit. So, audience, what I'm trying to explain is that where the asteroid belt today is between Mars and Jupiter was where the planet Earth was. It was known as Tiamat then, and it basically got, got hit by one of the, the satellite um, satellites or what you would call um, moons of uh, Nibiru, and that's knocked it, it cut, it split the planet in half, and then became its new orbit, became in the third position where it is today. But it was not originally. It was after Mars. Okay. Um, going onward is that um, after that, Marduk swoops by Tiamat again and again, crossing for the second time. Marduk uh, hits Tiamat with its own body, causing it to split into two parts, one of which become the asteroid belt, which currently orbits between Mars and Jupiter, while the other part forms the Earth that will be uh, pushed off course by Marduk's satellite, the North wind, Northern Wind, in a third collision and into a new orbit along with Kingu, and that's K-I-N-G-U, which is the moon, uh, which was originally one of the 10 satellites of Tiamat, okay? So the Enuma Elish continues describing this series of collision, and these are quotes. The Lord trampled on the legs of Tiamat, with his unsparing mace, he crushed her skull. So they're referencing it to a, like a, a human body or a humanoid. With unsparing mace, he crushed her skull. When the arteries of her blood had he had severed, the north wind bore to its places, undisclosed half of her, he sat up as a ceiling of the sky. He pulled down the bar and posted guards. He ordered them not to allow her waters to escape. Then it goes out of the quotation, going, During his revolution, Marduk attracted the satellite of Anshar, A-N-S-H-A-R, which I reference as Saturn, and Gaia, which is uh, referenced as Pluto, and that's G-A-G-A, moving into an independent orbit around Apsu, and I mentioned that A-P-S-U is the sun. These are their words for it, like a real planet. The Ima, the Uma Elish, um, clearly stated that Marduk came from the deep space, somewhere outside of our solar system. The Sumerians called this invader Nibiru, N-I-B-I-R-U, and that means the planet which crosses, quote. The Mes- Mes- <clears throat> excuse me, Mesopotamian text to indicate Marduk's orbit describes it as an extremely wide path which extends far to unknown regions of the universe. Still in the ancient world, there was belief that every 3,600 years, this planet would come close to Earth in modern times. Through studies upon this matter, seem to give specific uh, scientific corroboration to these epic tales. Another Mesopotamian uh, text translated by, and this is a name I'm not familiar with, V-I-R-O, 
E-L-L-A-U-A-D, and that would be Verlode, that's more French, contains the description of the members of Mul Mul, which is M-U-L-M-U-L, or uh, translated our solar system. This text uh, mentions uh, 12 planets. Line 20 of the TE tablets, okay, reads Nafar, which is N-A-P-H-A-R, 12, and that's Sheremesh, and that's S-H-E-R-E-M-E-S-H. And it says, um, well, it it's, doesn't really have any bearing to us because it's it's a foreign, it's an unknown language. Shamash, Ina, I-N-A, Libby, L-I-B-I, L-I-B-B-I, and Itq, which is I-T-T-I-Q-U. Anyway, when the translation means in total 12 members to which belong the sun and the moon, whereupon, quote, the planets. Considering our actual planetary system, which is formed by nine planets plus the sun and our moon, one planet is missing, that being Nibiru. The Sumerian reports pictures of Nibiru the way they allegedly should see it back in those remote days. And in quotes, it goes, Planet Nibiru, it is he who, without uh, tiring, the mist of Tiamat keeps crossing. Let, quote, crossing be his name, the one who occupies the midst, M-I-D-S-T. The great planet, at his appearance, dark red, the heaven he divides in half as it stands in Nibiru. Pluto was discovered in 1930, audience, and this helped initially to explain the interference that were reported over Neptune and Uranus's path. This theory, however, soon resulted into quite a different degree of inconsistencies. For in 1978, W. Christie, which is Washington Naval's, Washington's Naval Observatory, proved that Pluto was too small to exert such a strong gravitational influence on the other two planets. A new hypothesis was uh, produced, and that of the existence of an unknown planet beyond Pluto, a planet with such a big mass to be capable of modifying the orbit of Uranus. To move Pluto and force Triton, one of Neptune's satellites, into a retrograde path. After Christie's discovery, R.S. Harrington and T.C. Van Flanden, which is Dutch, F-L-A-N-D-E-R-N, from the same Naval Observatory, which is the Christie one in, okay, in uh, Seattle, uh, held a series of computer simulations and, and calculated that those orbital anomalies could be caused by a planet double-sized the Earth and about 2.4 billion of kilometers uh, from uh, distance from Pluto. So the, the space missions of Pioneer 10 and 11 and also Voyager strengthened that thesis. In 1983, the IRA Space Telescope, which is known as the Infrared uh, Ast- Astronomic Station, after a year of activity, recorded data supporting the Planet X theory. The telescope was equipped with a technology capable of capturing celestial bodies, infrared radiations, and even those of extremely far from Earth and thus invisible from land devices. IRAs sent to NASA more than 600,000 images, which gave an important contribution to discovering of newborn stars and planetary systems. By December of the same year, 
the U.S. press claimed that Iris had discovered, with the constellation of Orion, a celestial body whose alleged dimensions were similar to Jupiter's. And that's referenced in the Washington Post Scientific Archive. The Iris chairman, uh, G, and his name is Nuzbauer, which is N-E-U-G-E, uh, B-A-U-E-R, stated that no astronomer, astro <coughs> astronomer had been able to classify that body. Further data established the distance with the sun in 80 billions of kilometers that close enough to be considered part of our solar system, the body seemed to proceed earthward, but it was too big and too slow to be a comet. In 1987, during a conference held at the Ames Research uh, Center, that's California, that's um, uh, north of San Jose, then NASA officially announced the probable existence of Planet X through its spokesperson, John Anderson. At the end of the 19 of the 90s, John Murray, and that's UK's Open University, so United Kingdom, and John Matisse, and that's M-A-T-E-S-E, -E, University of Southwestern Louisiana, came separately at the same conclusions, an unknown object existed on the edge of our space, and it exerts a gravitational pull capable of slowing the outgoing of probes from our solar system and detour comet pass. That's a quote. In 1998, the NASA spokesperson also about a probable discovery of an extrasolar planet with a binary star. And that was uh, in parentheses, that's TMR, Tango, Mike, Romeo, dash, IC, India, Charlie, of the constellation Taurus at about 450 light years from Earth. This statement was later proven wrong by Keck, and that's K-E-C-K, telescopes. Further observation, the telescope would report a surface temperature of more than 2,700 degrees Kelvin, too much for whatever young planet. And then in February of 2000, a big comet was discovered orbiting the sun. Although an extremely wide path, the comet had been named uh, 2000 CR 105, and it seemed to have a diameter of 400 kilometers approximately. Um, Cote d'Azur Observatory, uh, that's I believe in France, um, as it's French, <clears throat> Brett Gladman and his team uh, have estimated its perihelium, which is P-E-R-I-H-E-L-I-U-M, to 6.6 .6 billions of kilometers, and its aphelion, which is A-P-H-E-L-I-O-N, to 58 billions of kilometers. Among the hypotheses examined, there is one which claims the existence of a planet as big as Mars orbiting the sun to an average distance of 11 billions of kilometers. Nonetheless, this planet has not yet been identified. In 2001, uh, Neustadt, which is N-E-U-C-H-A-T-E-L-S, uh, Helvetic, H-E-L-B-I-E-T-I-C, observatory announced that its astronomers had detected a reddish mass in the outer space, presumably the same body observed by Lowell Gordon's uh, Macmilla, and that's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A, Southern Obser Southam Observatory, S-O-U-T-H-A-M, in Arizona. In both cases, data confirmed the body proceeding earthward on a regular path. On January 
2002, scientists declared to have a photographed a celestial body approaching Earth on right ascension. So, Nexus issue of November and December, it's a, a two months, November, December 2002, published an article by Furio, F-U-R-I-O, Stella, S-T-E-L-L-A, who reported that Adrio, Adrino, uh, A-D-R-I-N-O, uh, these are Italian, F-O-R-G-I-O-N-E, uh, which is out of uh, Harris Magazine, and that's H-E-R-A uh, publisher, controversial statements about some of the pictures of Nabru that his magazines had published. So later, Figurine, which is F-O-R-G-I-O-N-E, later refused to give any likelihood to the picture at the second Nexus uh, National Conference. Nexus is a very big conference audience, and it has got very, very prestigious uh, individuals of uh, acclaimed notoriety. And it occurs uh, uh, around the world. And I was aware of one in, uh, uh, in the earlier 2000s in Australia, uh, which I have a great article on. Okay, that doesn't mean I don't believe in the Nibiru existence. I rather believe the Sumerians had an exact knowledge of how solar system was like. Their information are confirmed by the modern astrophysicists through mathematical calculations of the comet's path. Carmen Rattori, which is R-E-T-T-O-R-E, -E, is a researcher of archetypes, and of this message she highlights of how every discovery of a new planet tallies with huge changes in human history. In 1871, the discovery of Uranus, and then you had the technological and industrial revolution occurring. Uh, 1846, you had the first sighting of Neptune, drugs, use, growth, and traveling increased, birthway of the railway and of the cinemas in that time. And then in 1930, you had the discovery of Pluto, and that is the, uh, you also had psychoanalysis and the atomic bomb. Beyond the scientific data and the ancient legends, it would be worth wondering, what if Nibiru does exist? I am certain that it does. Uh, what does this planet, um, would it carry and carry with it? And what would be the consequences of its arrival? All right, that's the end of uh, 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 part three, Jeff. I'll let you interview. Very interesting. <laughs> Just the... You know, the things in our solar system that have been hidden and, you know, the alternative history is fascinating, Chris. I uh, absolutely agree. I totally concur. All right. I'll, I can look for another one while you entertain the audience for a moment. I didn't realize I'd get through it in 40 minutes with both of them. But um, All right. I've got well, thousands. What, what, we can, what we can do, Chris, is I can open up the phone lines. But also, I remembered while you were speaking that I have not fulfilled one of my obligations to this audience. And I had promised to give my theory on flat and round Earth. Fair enough. Why don't you take care of... And I'd, be, and, I'd, and I'd be very curious to get your opinion on what I say, Chris. Fair enough. Okay, so first of all, uh, and I've stated this pretty publicly, you know, that uh, I believe the Earth is round. I totally get all the intel that comes out, but uh, I just know that I know, uh, my opinion, that the Earth is round. However, there is so much uh, to 
what uh, the flat earth stuff do, uh, claims. And uh, many of the guys who put out the flat earth material, like it, you could just debunk everything they say. But there is some truth. And actually, the, the stuff that you brought by uh, Rosetta Delacroix, Chris, was the most fascinating uh, flat earth stuff I have heard to date. Uh, completely different take on it. And uh, I really thought it was a brilliant decode in what you went through it. So I started thinking about it. And I just, you know, a lot of the time when I research, I'll, I'll give the audience a little hint of what I do. Uh, because I spend many hours researching every day, uh, but I always seem to stumble upon the right information. And how I do that is I pray, <laughs> and, and God kind of brings me to the right spot. And I found a secret video, and the video was of the initiation teachings into the 32nd Masonic degree. And what they teach in that, uh, you know, going into that level is they draw a picture of the earth, the round spear, and then they hold up what looks like a, uh, a, a disc, like an LP. If you guys remember what a record looks like <laughs> from way back, um, it's a flat disc with a hole in the center of it. And what they teach in this, and, uh, you know, it, it's secret society teaching, of course, uh, but they teach that there is a flat disc inside the center of the Earth. Now, when I compile that to a round Earth, it satisfies both theories because we have the round Earth, which I think is provable. Uh, but yet, there is a flat Earth, and we do know that there is an inner Earth. We do know that there's cities in, uh, in the inner Earth and everything else. And what they teach is, so if you think of a, a divider disk in the center of the Earth, and one side of it, uh, on the, let's say on the lower heart part of the disk, that's where the black sun is. And the black sun shines its light through the center disc hole, and then the light refracts on the inside of the center Earth. Uh, and this would explain the, uh, the flat Earth ice wall, because it's bumping up against the round Earth crust. Um, you know, I just think it satisfies every theory, whether I'm right or not. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I haven't been there. However, I just wanted to put that out there, and I think uh, everyone could be happy if we could agree on at least that as a theory. What say you, Chris? We have basically a multiverse, so that uh, in in my perception and my extensive near-death experience is that um, that what's the best way to describe it? That there is a multiple well that the creator created an infinite number of dimensions and an infinite number of universes and that what i have uh ascertained is that they they basically coincide they don't overlap but when this is beyond our comprehension because we're just not high enough in intellect but they actually coexist in a different time and space for lack of better word for uh time uh they they coexist so they they are here and so i think that 
it is conceivable because I know from my research and experiences uh, that we only have, basically what we see in life is only five at most 10% of what truly exists because of this multiverse and how uh, inter interdimensional and uh, parallel um, dimensions. So yes, I think your, your concept is, is uh, plausible. Um, and I, I was able to, from my experiences and also uh, research that the creator made every planet with what is uh, Tesla knew in, in the uh, 1880s, along with about close to a dozen other uh, uh, physicists that the, there were four states of matter. And yet, Jeff, the, it, was, it was introduced in Europe in 1998. I spoke with a Romanian high school teacher and he said they, they talked about the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension is plasma. And that is a state of matter. We have solid liquid and gas, what we've been taught for all our lives as the three um, dimensions as far as uh, states of matter. However, plasma is the fourth state of matter. It has always existed and is a state of matter between solid and liquid. They knew it earlier than we did. When I talked to my youngest daughter, who's an RN, uh, that uh, when she was in high school, she's 31, and that that wasn't in they it was barely even mentioned in high school. They didn't give any any uh, explanation. It was just only a reference point, but that was it. And yet, it's one of the most viable and important aspects to realize what the creator has done is by having a fourth dimensional realm. Uh, not to mention realm, of a fourth state of matter, excuse me. I'm just very tired. I've been doing uh, 12, uh, eight international podcasts and, and about six domestic, and they, it, it gets very drawing. I'm going to have to uh, cut off, cut back my hours on the other ones. But anyway, um, that with this, we have a plasma sun inside of Earth, okay? Uh, Cisco Wheeler knows this, and uh, if anyone uh, enjoys reading, they can look up what is called the Smoky God, S-M-O-K-E-Y-G-O-D. And that was written by a Swede that went into inner earth in 1890 with his father. They sailed to the North Pole and went into inner earth unrealizing it and lived with giants there for two years, came back and uh, told uh, the Swedish government and they thought he was a lunatic. They put him in prison for two years when he was released he emigrated to the united states and lived in the midwest i think it was iowa and wrote a book on it and if you read the book you can read it online as well as uh or purchase it but online is easier and it's fascinating because it 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 describes exactly what coexists that we've never been taught and never will be by society and and uh the powers to be today so Yes, Jeff, I, I believe that in a, a multiverse that, that we experience, that there can be uh, not only different perceptions, but different actual possible realities to this. Over. Well, one thing I know for sure is uh, one day in a twinkling of an eye, all things will be revealed to us. So um, it's kind of neat to have the mystery. It's neat to have the discussions. Uh, 
you know, I don't mind discussing this stuff, and, and even when we disagree, we always learn something from from each other, and uh, absolutely, and that's the beautiful thing about all of this. So, so listen, uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna open up the phone lines if someone wants to call in, give the military analyst uh, a question, or even myself, we'll uh, we'll take a couple calls if someone is interested, and if not, we'll uh, we'll sign off, and I'm gonna head to the beach. Granted, well, I, I appreciate all the ones that have called in the past. I can only remember s several of the names, but uh, we had Jan, we had Anonymous Nurse, we've had uh, Linda, we've had, uh, I believe there was uh, uh, Debbie. And uh, so I encourage anyone to uh, step forward if you have any questions. Uh, Jeff and I can certainly uh, address them and with uh, the respect to, your, to whatever um, is being addressed. Well, we've got our first caller, and it's Getting Naked with Gaia. Welcome to Fight on Radio. <laughs> we know each other. I've been on our show, Jeff. Yes. Hi, Chris. Hi, Carmen. How are Hi, you doing? Hi, Jeff. I'm good. How are you guys? I didn't realize that you were also an avid uh, listener to Jeff's show. Well, I you had told me about him on my show, so I was like, I got to tune in. So I'm following you now, and, Jeff. And what's the name of your show? Uh, Getting Naked with Gaia. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Is yeah. Is being as well? Yes, sir. All I've right. gotten around to check it out as well. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I do have a question, Chris. So I was reading, um, I told you I have the last book of Enki and yes. I have a few questions. One, they talk about the measurement of space of getting from their planet to Earth in nautical miles. Okay. Well, nautical miles are ours. Okay. It's basically, that's a, a Earth concept, but, uh, okay. um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm not a physicist, but basically uh, I did have advanced calculus, three years of it uh, between pre-standard and post, but those days are long gone after being uh, disabled. But uh, uh, there, there's different uh, measurements of uh, distance and uh, that's just one of them. So I will have to do a little bit more research to give you a more precise answer to that. Okay. And then, um, no, I just have one more. Um, <laughs> uh, the other one was when I was reading it, um, I know you said you were talking about, you know, how the solar system came to be and how the planets got into the alignment that they're in. But also in that book, they said that like uh, Earth was the seventh planet from the sun, not the third. And that had me curious about what that meant. Okay. What? That's a very good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because this will also explain it better when I go into more detail uh, to the rest of the audience. So that's, uh, uh, you, you hit it on the, on, on the nose and that basically that is coming from outside our universe. We think in a, in a what is known as a, a heliocentric universe with the sun being the center. And that was changed by uh, Nicholas Copernicus, okay? And the, that was instituted by the Catholic church that asked him to do that in the 1500s. However, um, shortly after he published it, he conveniently died. That was not a coincidence. Um, what it was doing um, for your, let me see. Uh, I don't want to lose track here because I have uh, short-term memory loss, but my long-term is absolutely intact. It's just retrieving it. But um, what it's referencing is that from the Anunnaki, okay, which are the reptilians, Anunnaki translates into those from heaven who came to earth and uh these are reptilian beings 
and they're the ones who still exist on this planet. They've been here for 500,000 years. They have, uh, as fourth dimensional beings, that they have uh, cities uh, under the oceans, as well as the largest one in the, in the North America is under uh, Los Angeles. Anyway, um, what that's referencing is if you count from the outside, from Pluto being number one, okay, then you will get to Earth in its current position, not its original, in the seventh position. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes all the sense. So thank you for explaining that. But it's, it's I understand, a lot of information that's presented in, in uh, essays, books, articles, magazines, they're taking basically assumptions that the rest have their background. They don't. And a lot needs more interpretation to better understand. So it'll, it'll make more, uh, be more cohesive to, to the uh, average person for with not being a specialist in, in those disciplines. But yes, it's counting from the outside inward rather than counting from uh, the center of our heliocentric uh, solar system outward. And so- oh, That's awesome to know. Thank you. Well, you keep me in touch. You have my, I have your um, email and uh, you just let me know in advance when you're, when you uh, would like me to come on your show. Okay. Indeed. Sounds yes. Good. Thank you so much. And, and your name was Carmen? Yes, sir. Carmen, thank you so much for your call and great questions. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you, guys. All right. Have a good one. You too. Likewise. But I encourage other people to step forward and, and be, well, just straightforward or courageous, whatever you want to refer it to. And uh, you can ask anything you wish. And... Uh, We'll do the best to give you the uh, definitive answer. And uh, if we're just going to kill a minute while we're seeing if someone else has the courage to call in, folks, it's easy. You're just talking on the phone. It's just a conversation. That's all it is. But uh, listen, if you guys didn't catch my show yesterday, now it is very much faith-based. It's not an Intel show, but I have started a new teaching uh, series uh, that I'm doing, and it's called New Goggles. And the, essentially the premise of it is to see the world in a completely different way. So you're using a new lens, and it's actually to see the world through the creator's eyes. And what we're supposed to do, it's, uh, it's, gonna, it's a very deep instruction. It will be life-changing for everyone who follows along and does the work. I highly recommend that you take notes. I drop some very huge concepts, even in the very first uh, episode of it, chapter one, I'm calling it, because I, essentially I'm doing my book, my newest book that's going to be coming out online. I'm giving it away for free as an audio version to start off with. And, uh, and later on, I'll turn it into a course and add a workbook and stuff like that. But uh, God told me to give it out, so that's what I'm doing, and I really hope that you guys enjoy it. Jeff, I want to want to very yeah, positive. Thank you for that, Jan. By the way, I was talking to her yesterday, and uh, she told me she was going to, and she really liked the teaching. So thank you. Go anyway, ahead, uh, very quickly, because uh, we have very little time, is that I've noticed when I was being blocked by two <laughs> bizarre uh, podcasters, they. Uh, I always post positive comments to them and I always uh, uh, share knowledge. But um, in that time when I got blocked by 
them on Podbean, I noticed how to increase the number of likes to every show. And this is important for all audience before Podbean goes and corrects it because it is Masonic driven. But the point is, when you click on the like button, when it when it, the 300 points counts down to zero and becomes a full heart balloon, you tap on it multiple times, minimum five, typically eight, until all the balloons go away. And it will generate three t likes for every one when people just tap on it. And this will catapult anybody's Podbeam show uh, into basically in a matter of like two months, they'll probably get into the top 20 or better. So if you multiply tap it when it, uh, the like heart, you do it repeatedly until those balloons go away. And then you can check in the upper right hand corner by hitting the arrow uh, of uh, how many likes for, uh, for that show and for that month. And you'll see your numbers will increase uh, by threes every time. So if everybody did that of the of uh, Jeff's audience, it will incredibly, you know, put those numbers so that he can be stay in the high numbers of the, you know, top 20, even going to the top 10. So I just wanted to share that it does work. It is proven. I've proved it on other shows and let even the the host do it. And, and some of his uh, guests and they they verified exactly what I told them and they were surprised. So very few know about this. And for the time being, while we can, we can increase Jeff's numbers uh, almost immeasurably. That's my point. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get back into the top 10. You know, we were actually number one in the news category at one point in time. I think we slipped down to number four or so, but uh, we'll get back up to number one. Uh, it's, you know, going to take some dedication and just listen, you know, I, I live north of the 49th parallel and, uh, and summer's real short in the last two years. We haven't had any holidays. Uh, so, you know, this summer I do plan on taking some time off, uh, not a lot, but, uh, you know, probably a, a few weeks as we go by uh, sporadically. So, uh, but once we get back into it, we'll, uh, I'm going to ramp up and ask Chris to do more shows. So he's going to have to, uh, uh, because Chris, you're staying here, buddy. I, I know you got to loosen your load on some of these other shows, but you're staying here and I want to get you working more. Uh, people love the military analyst shows. Jan made a comment. I just want to say, Jan, when, when you uh, wait until it gets like now on mine, it's down to the heart. And I just multiply tap it repeatedly with my thumb, go boom, 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 boom about eight times and it generates three uh uh three likes each time anyway keep trying it will work all right uh i can't read all the uh the comments and the i'm just i don't really work with one arm and one uh decent hand but uh, um you're, you're more than welcome to ask questions to jeff show he can uh uh put them into comments on uh, also uh and we can address them at a later date because uh, the end of the show is now. I just wanted to yeah, thank the audience. Listen. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, don't go ahead, Chris. That's what I was going to say. Well, it's always a pleasure to come on, Jeff, because knowledge is a key to life. And it, it's wisdom. We carry it forward when we cross over. We never die. We are eternal beings. We're just not immortal. And we carry knowledge. and We also carry the emotion of love. And that is eternal. So basically... Uh, Sharing knowledge is the right thing to do. And the other aspect the public should be aware is that nature is the true key to life because the creator gave us everything we need to do for the human body. The human body is a very special, very unique 
uh, complicated organism, but it is designed to survive. And unfortunately, with the air, water, and, and uh, food that they're uh, uh, basically we breathe, uh, we eat, and we drink, is that um, we just have to be very careful. And I highly recommend everybody growing their own garden and getting heirloom seeds and uh, boiling their water. But that was my point. Over. Yeah, and, and by the way, also, uh, you know, we, we you can support, uh, you know, the military analyst on rightonyou.com uh, and get the intel briefs and look at all the pictures. Uh, and there's a ton of stuff up there. I added about 15 things just to this morning. However, uh, the bug out bag and Chris is, uh, uh, you know, listen, if there's ever a time in life when we should start being prepared, it's now. And you can get the bug out bag for free. Uh, it's it's about 40 pages of instructions. It goes super, super deep. And it's Chris's gift to you. Uh, and I'm glad to uh, to facilitate handing that out. Uh, but you can just go into right on with the letter U.com and get that bug out bag. Uh, I think uh, it's really good information. Print it out uh, as soon as you get it and uh, and start putting together your stuff. So really, really good uh, stuff. And, and now, I just want to say one other thing. Uh, before we sign off, you know, uh, Chris and I, we, we started off as a, as a working relationship here. Um, I met Chris, he came to me from another show, and uh, we had him on. Uh, but I just want to tell the audience that, you know, I've had the pleasure of getting to talk to Chris off air, and probably not often enough, but uh, I really feel that we're, we formed a friendship, and that is the most valuable thing here and uh chris is a really loving caring man uh off air i think it, it comes across on air as well uh but i'm glad to call you friend sir and uh i'm really glad you're you're in our lives okay well there's other people that have commented and uh priscilla as well as uh, constance uh, uh and basically uh uh there's others with jeff and cindy uh so I'm glad that a lot of people have come on board. Uh, Big Chief is there. Uh, we work together for our show. And uh, Raccoon also comes on. So we share the knowledge. And that's the most important thing in life. Because knowledge is always meant to be shared, not coveted. And that's when I crossed over and came back months later. That uh, it changed my life in the regard that I, I felt that uh, one, knowledge is always meant to be shared among humanity. And secondly, that... Uh, it's better to give than to receive. Over. Yeah, it certainly is. And we'll leave it right there. Thank you, Chris. And uh, thank you to everyone for joining us. If you came in a little bit late, I will be posting this and you'll be able to listen to it from the beginning. Uh, please share the podcast. Uh, we put up a, a variety of different stuff, obviously, not only the military analysts, but we have uh, regular shows. We talk God and politics most of the time. And when Chris comes on, we, uh, we explore alternative history and all kinds of different things, interplanetary stuff like we did today. Uh, just amazing. So uh, thank you all for being here. And remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, and make a difference in your community. All right. And also, SJ Rocks, over now. Over now. Plus, water. <laughs>